Welcome to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast, a podcast to help you recognize when your brain is treating others as enemies to be defeated instead of as people to be loved. With neuropsychologist Jim Wilder and Brigadier General Ray Woolridge, we'll discover the ways that Enemy Mode sabotages our best intentions and we'll find pathways together to refriend the people around us. Let's get to work. Welcome back to the second episode of the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast. So in the last episode, Jim and Ray did like a 10,000 foot flyover of enemy mode as we see it and as the brain experiences it. But in this episode, we're going to go a little bit closer. So before we can learn to escape enemy mode, before um, we can even invite other people to join us on this quest, we need to understand better what enemy mode is. And from the last episode, we learned that there are three ways that it can show up in us. And the first of those is what Jim called simple enemy mode. Now, Ray, I would love for you to to share a story to to help us understand what simple enemy mode looks like in our life. Sure. I think, Jeremy, uh, going way back in my life, I learned that if I could focus and just do stuff, I could Mm. get a lot accomplished. And I would get rewarded for just doing stuff. Mm I had also learned early in life to minimize those relational connections with other people. There's a whole brain science reason for why that happened to me. But I know a lot of people like that. And so Mm -hmm. to illustrate for our, for our listeners, one, one way I saw this playing out in my life, uh, you could call this the stay off my lawn moment uh, (laughs) that people that, you know, the old guy yelling at the neighbors walking on his grass or, or this other curmudgeon saying, go away, kid, you bother me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, here I was a few years ago, a pretty senior person working in a military environment. It was the middle of the workday. I uh, was at my desk, at my computer, computer, right in the middle of a task, and someone knocks on my door and sticks their head in, and they're asking me a question, but it was apparent they wanted more than just a question answered. They wanted to have some time of relational connection. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, all I could think about was the deadline I was working on and the fact that they were stopping me from achieving that deadline, from accomplishing Mm -hmm. my task. And so rather than inviting them in and asking them to sit down, I stayed at my computer with my fingers still on the keyboard, ready to do the next step on the document. And I just looked at them over my shoulder and I was sending them strong nonverbals that you're you're in my way right now. You're stopping me, hmm. stopping me from getting my work done. I, I missed the relational connection and I wanted to keep on my task. That's simple enemy mode. Mm-hmm. Jim, what's going on in the brain when, with that story with Ray, when he's in simple enemy mode and he's trying to, he's got his finger over the key, trying to show the person, my work is more important than this conversation with you right now. Oh, yeah. Well, it's sort of hilarious, Jeremy, because, of course, I write about relationships all the time. And it would be the case that, you know, my wife would come into my office while I was writing about how to have a good relationship. And I have the same reaction. (laughs) Go away. You bother me. What are you doing interfering with my work on relationships here? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. The brain has what's called state-dependent learning. It's a prediction machine. Hmm. But it says, I predict this is the state we're going to be in. So under these conditions, um, 
this is how we act. I remember when my kids were real little, uh, my wife took them to the bank and uh, they looked at her back and forth. And then they said, is it church rules in here? What uh-huh. <laughs> the brain is trying to predict, what are the rules for this environment? And, you know, there's school rules, there's church rules, there's, you know, how, how do people act in here? And she said, oh, no, you can talk and walk around, but you just can't get outside these two uh, red ropes they've got us in. Um, mm. And so the the brain is trying to figure that out right away. So when we see something coming, our brain says, is this someone I want to connect to or is this going to be a problem? And as soon mm. as that happens, it predicts, oh, this is going to uh, be a problem. It's because there's no personal connection signal. There's nothing goes, oh, here's an opportunity for some joy. Now, the brain actually mm. develops around joy, which joy for the brain means someone's glad to be with me. And when we mm-hmm. think about it, that's what we actually crave. We want these kind of experiences. But when mm-hmm. the left brain takes over, see, the left brain uh, is its job is to focus in on a detail. Mm-hmm. The right brain is to remember who I am and what's important to me. So a lot mm-hmm. of times we just sort of park our right brain when we're on a task and we go like, okay, here's an important detail we have to focus in on. We forget that the reason we work, the reason that, you know, you know, like the song about take this job and shove it is an old country Western song. You know, I lost the person that was the reason I was doing this work. Mm-hmm. Our brain does that because it's overly focused. And that's how mm-hmm. we get stuff done. But to remember why we get stuff done, we have to move back out of it. So uh, into this relational state. So if I'm not used to joy, my brain never occurs. Uh, yeah, it never occurs to your brain to think, well, you know, yeah, you're getting this job done, but you're getting it done so that you have a good relationship with him or her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's that bit of uh, state-dependent learning like um well, now I've just got a job to get done. And when I've got a job to get done, people don't matter. Uh, mm. If your brain learns that, it immediately predicts this is what I need to do. I need to get the people out of here so I can get work done. If we learn to do the two of them together, then the brain has a different kind of learning pattern. And so uh, enemy mode is this prediction. You know, People simply interfere with my getting my results. Can you talk a little bit more about the left brain and the right brain and how they interact? Are they working simultaneously at like in parallel tracks or is one faster or slower than the other? Yeah. Well, first I'd have to say there's an awful lot of like, um, you know, fantasy explanations about the left and the right, right brain, like the right brain is right. artistic and the left brain. Is that. And so all of that stuff is, is pretty fictional really but mm-hmm. the right brain has to figure out who i am and what do i do right now and to do mm-hmm. that it has to go faster than consciousness otherwise uh we'll end up in a situation forget who we are but you notice mm-hmm. we never we never wake up going now who am i again uh, or yeah. you know, if someone asks a question the brain the left brain which is job is to focus in on details uh, mm-hmm. that need solving, uh, always assumes that we know who we are. But the problem with the right brain is that if we're in the wrong emotional state, it can actually stop running quite right. So we, in a sense, forget who we are. And then the left brain just focuses in on whatever's in front of it and says, mm-hmm. well, this must be what I'm supposed to take care of. And that conscious brain 
runs at five cycles per second. So five times a second, it updates the picture of what I'm consciously aware of. But mm -hmm. six times per second, the brain updates the picture of who am I. So it's always running mm -hmm. a little bit faster. And our conscious mind sort of assumes it's always got the answer right. So it never goes back to check unless we learn to check yeah. for ourselves. Am I being relational right now? Uh, and if I can answer that question, uh, then I can say, oh, whoops, I forgot to be relational. And mm -hmm. that's what we hope. That's how you get out of simple enemy mode. You learn how to check. Am I being relational? Is this person important to me? And, of course, yeah. we'll have to go into more detail about that later. And so as you guys are kind of trying to, Jim, dive deep into the brain science of simple enemy mode, and Ray, as you're trying to learn to escape enemy mode, and it's as you guys are talking with other people even about how to, to do that with you, what are some of the objections that people have? Like the first one that I, I think of, I think for me being being a person that has a really hard time getting stuff done and remaining relational. Ray, I think we're on the same track or at least where you used to be. I have a hard time understanding how can I be focused on getting work done and be available for relational connection? It's like those two things seem like separate ones. What are, what are some other objections that you have heard as you're explaining simple enemy mode to, to people around you? Well, one of the objections was, uh, what an inflammatory term. Hmm. You know, why, why would we call it that? Are you guys just trying to be provocative? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and we said to them, well, actually, the brain, that's what the brain views this other person as. It's, yeah. it's not that we're trying to be provocative. But, but another objection is, I talked to a retired CEO who uh, he didn't understand the concept. But once he got a little better understanding of it, he says, I'm not sure I've noticed that except during the recent political season. Mm. Now, then looking back on this guy and knowing a little more about his life, I realized, wait a minute, he operated, his modus operandi was simple enemy mode. Mm -hmm. So every, everything in his life was a task, an agenda. He he totally missed relational connection with his wife and his family and his, his coworkers. Now, there's still married, but goodness, there wasn't a whole lot of relational joy in the relationship. One of the things that, mm -hmm. you know, you know, like, like I said, we say in the book and we said previously, how do you explain water to a fish? Yeah. If a person's totally focused on their left hemisphere and totally trying to categorize and solve problems and missing or ignoring what their body is telling them from the right hemisphere, uh, they're not going to see that uh, you can stay relational and, ha and be aware of both at the same time. And this may be a bit of a, a scientific detour, detour for you, Jim, but how, how do you test what the brain is doing? So like when, when Ray is saying that the brain is viewing as an enemy, what is the science behind that? How do, how do you test and see that connection? Well, we've got a number of ways of uh, doing it. I, I actually was trained in neuroscience before the days of brain scans. And huh. so the original way of doing it was by checking to see if, a, if you could uh, elicit a function. So you would mm. like show a person a light if they didn't see it. Well, you, of course, you sort of presume they're blind, right? Yeah. Um, 
or their eyes aren't working. And so you'd work your way along the process and go, oh, here's where the signal stopped going forward. So um, uh, one of the things we do, for instance, is put a object in a little black cloth bag and we would have the person put their hand in the bag and see, can you identify the object? Well, mm -hmm. if you couldn't feel that you had anything in your hand, the processing was broken, breaking down very near the start of things. You had no sensory perception. You know, the nerves were not maybe even working in your arm or your hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd keep it going forward. Like I can feel something in there, but I can't tell what it is. Moved it farther up in the brain because the parts that identify the shape uh, were farther up in the in the brain. And then... Mm -hmm. Can you? I know what this shape is, and they could point to a picture of it, but they couldn't name it because naming it was even farther in the process. So, part of what we do is, can you identify that you're talking to something? Yes, I can talk to somebody. They've interrupted me. Can you identify mm -hmm. that they're important to you? Oh, yeah, that is my husband, my wife, my child, whoever it is, my boss. Uh, can you identify what it? is like you to do in relationship with them. That's even farther in the brain process. And then mm -hmm. as we do the current brain studies, you actually give someone a task where they, for instance, have to think of what's important to me about that relationship. And you see what part of the brain lights up when it gets there. Um, and so those are the, the newer ways of confirming uh, the process that was, uh, you know, previously we tested by seeing what part of the, of this whole event are you actually relating to. And so now we can just go back and say, okay, can you identify that someone walked in the room? Yes, your basic senses are running. Uh, can you mm -hmm. identify that you um, need to respond to them? Well, yes, I can, but my response is negative. Ah, okay, now we've got a uh, prediction by your brain, usually from the amygdala and the uh, associated circuits that this is going to turn out badly. And so now we're going to figure out how to get this negative thing to stop. We also know the brain hasn't figured out, well, is that the least harmful alternative here? Might it not be better to have a good relationship with that person that just went in? Would you not like to in, uh, have them help you solve the problem you're working on? Could we hmm. be allies? You know, all those sorts of things happen in the much, much farther down the brain process. Um, and so by watching where it gets stuck, we figure out, uh, you know, what part of the brain isn't involved that should be working here. So we're actually acting like less human than we, we have the potential to be. Hmm. The whole idea with getting out of enemy mode is to restore the full human potential of our, our minds, brains, and relationships. Uh, which, hmm. of course, means we have to develop that sort of style. I mean, it's something we have to learn. And so mm -hmm. part of what Ray is saying is early on, he didn't learn how to you know, enhance the relational part of, of getting a task done. And if you were to try and describe it, and this is for either Jim or Ray, what does it feel like? Well, how would you describe like the internal feeling of being in enemy mode? It feels like pressure in my head. It feels like uh, uh, my um, my brain is running on overdrive. 
but it also feels like a little bit of anxiety even mm. um, where um, I'm sensing something is off. There's a quote disturbance in the force, <laughs> but I'm not sure what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it feels like, you know, if I view my wife coming up to me when I'm in the middle of the task, if I view her as a problem or an interruption, mm-hmm. um, that just feels terrible. Because mm-hmm. here's the most important human being in my life, and yet she's my problem, and she's my enemy. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it it will feel stressful. So all of those things. The other side of it is what it doesn't feel like, and yeah. this is sort of the the harder one to identify. Uh, and the, what it should feel like is some kind of joy, like oh wow, here's another human being, maybe even an important one. I'm glad to see them. Our eyes should sparkle a little bit. Our smile, mm-hmm. our face should start to smile. Uh, and when we're in enemy mode, none of those responses uh, happen. You know, our, our voice tone should get warm like, oh, it's you. Uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to, oh, it's you. Um, these, these are the responses that are missing. And if we're used to living really low joy lives, uh, mm-hmm. we don't even notice those things are missing. Uh, you know, yeah. we sort of feel like, well, we fell in love and that's where people notice that they might actually have some joy and then it sort of drifts away. And it's like, oh, well, now we're just carrying on with life. Uh, you know, we've got to start a new job. We're just excited to be there. And then it drifts away. So we lose mm-hmm. joy. And with it, we lose a sensitivity to the fact that we are now drifting into sort of automatic enemy zones. Your descriptions of enemy mode and simple enemy mode just make it so clear that we want to escape it. <laughs> we want, we don't want to miss out on joy. We don't want to miss out on that happy to be with you feeling of the people that are closest to us. And yeah. Why would we want to be alive if we just stayed in enemy yeah. mode all the time? I wanted to transition now over into stupid enemy mode. <laughs> and this is the the enemy mode that you describe as when you frequently will go viral in a bad way. And as, as I was reading about this, it um, reminded me of a time when I was young. I was probably 12 and was getting into a fight with my older brother. And he was pushing me so much that eventually, kind of, I would describe it as like seeing red, where I no longer cared if I was hurt. I just wanted to hurt him. <laughs> it was like, I don't care how many punches you land. I'm going to get one good one in here. Mm-hmm. And that that was this i i felt that deeply when you're describing stupid enemy mode like when i no longer care about the consequences i just want to cause pain mm-hmm. and ray i was curious if you had a story of simple enemy mode that you can share a couple of years ago um our granddaughter and and the rest of the family were over and she wanted to watch a program on television using the uh one of the remotes and and I had to find this remote control, and I could not find it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started uh, raising my voice to my wife, uh-huh. and I distinctly remember the night before she had uh, I had handed the remote to her. So mm-hmm. I started blaming her for losing the remote. And this is happening in front of our granddaughter and the and the rest of the family. Yep. And and eventually she said to me, and th- and uh, she said, "Stop talking and listen to yourself." And uh, we're developing this uh, relationship where she can call me out when I'm in enemy mode and I can point it out to her and call it in a kind way, but very direct. Mm -hmm. 
And I paused for a minute and then I remembered that uh, she had handed the remote back to me. But um, I had already done the damage. So yeah. all, all I remembered in the moment is I'd given it to her and I was raising my voice and nobody was helping me and I felt all alone. And it was a tirade on my part. Now, after I calmed down a couple of minutes later, I found the remote right where I had left it under the uh, table yep. runner. Hmm. Now, I had been in stupid enemy mode. Of course, I had to profusely apologize to everybody, yeah. but the damage relationally was done and it would linger. Yeah. Yeah, something that you guys wrote about in the book, talking about enemy mode spreads quickly but dissipates slowly. Yeah, it's definitely. Like those those moments of damage can be done so quickly, and and I'm curious. You mentioned something that caught my attention. You you said nobody is helping me. Mm-hmm. How how does that affect stupid enemy mode? Like it feels like there's a, a deep impulse there that you're you're connecting to. Yeah, the impulse is uh, uh, stupid enemy mode is accelerated when you feel all alone. Mm. You feel that nobody is on your side. And, yeah. and there's a, a lot, not only is there a, a lack of connection, but but you're left alone in this in this cruel world to solve your problem and nobody cares. Yeah. Now, what yeah. And, and when you're in stupid enemy mode, you won't even recognize people who are trying to help you. Hmm. So she was trying to help me. She was trying to help me, but I couldn't see it in the moment. Yeah, that's a key thing about enemy mode. We can't tell who's on our side from who isn't. Mm. Everybody feels like, yeah, you're you're not helping me or I wouldn't be this upset. Yeah, it sounds like it shifts the blame over to other people mm-hmm. for the problem that's happening to you. Yeah, uh, well, they're actually, we're sort of half-braining it because uh, the signal isn't getting all the way to our best self part of the brain. Yeah, It actually starts out, the, again, the right hemisphere runs pretty fast, so we call it the fast track. Mm-hmm. It's going faster. There's there's an even a, a super highway underneath it that involves energy. So when a, something starts out, our thalamus says, oh, this is personal to me, and sends it off to our amygdala. And our amygdala mm-hmm. says, is this going to be good, bad, or scary? And if it predicts this is going to be bad uh, or scary, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a, a sort of a direct link to our energy systems inside the body. They're the ones that run through the, our bloodstream. And so it starts pumping uh, adrenaline in anticipation of a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. And, and this does this by very, very quickly pulling in uh, any possible things that have gone wrong. So it's actually an alarm system. It's going to prepare us for something that could go wrong, uh, but before we even have a chance to think very much about it. So let's get the let's get the adrenaline pumping here because this might be a might be a crisis. Uh, and so it's very sort of primitive information in the brain, but it energizes the whole body immediately before we're even mm-hmm. conscious that we've seen anything. And so the, mm. now we've got all of this energy running and a bad prediction. This is going to turn out badly. And it moves the, the signal then goes up to the cingulate cortex, which is a very, very long pathway through the brain from sort of the back to the front in which it tries to figure out, is there anybody else going to be on my side with this? But mm. now we've all got all this energy. And in the, in the case of getting stupid, um, 
it could happen one of two ways. We've got a bunch of energy and nobody else is responding. So, you know, the brain looks around and like, okay, no one else is as energized as I am about this. So they're not on my side. Hmm. Or we might be looking at the brain as really, really sensitive to a couple of things. One is uh, an angry face. So if the other person looks angry, we're going to say they're not on our side. And this, I'm going to have to up my anger to deal with their anger. Uh, Mm. Or the other thing the brain is super sensitive to is something that would say, this is about to result in a put down of me. This is a status lowering event. I'm I'm about Mm. to get, get put in my place, in which case that really makes me mad too. And so now we've got the cingulate saying, no one's on my side. There's no one going to help me here. Uh, and if it gets energized really fast, it actually kind of goes into a cramp. So Hmm. instead of processing the signal and sending it forward, it just stays lit up. Uh, and you know, when a cramp is a muscle that's very active, right? Yeah. It's so active. It does, you no good. And so the cingulate gets that active. We can actually scan this on the brain scan. It just, you know, it lights up with all kinds of, uh, energy being burnt up in there so much so yeah. that it's no longer processing things. It no longer gets up to the least harmful um, calculator or the acting mm. like my best self calculator. And so now we're just like, all right, I, no one's on my side. This I got all kinds of energy. I am just going to tear you up. And now we do mm. and say stupid things because uh, our brain still remembers what hurts so we yeah. can figure out how to hurt somebody, but we never asked the question in our brain yet. Uh, was that actually the best part of me? <laughs> uh, was yeah. that actually the least harmful alternative? And usually we'll end up figuring out the most harmful alternative because it's the most hurtful and doing yeah. and saying exactly that. Uh, so, you know, the, but the brain's cramp is very easy to scan. That's one of the most easily studied part of the, of the brain. It's just, you don't usually want to get somebody that upset in the scanner, but when they, <laughs> when they do, uh, yeah. yeah, it's very broken obvious. machines. Yeah. And, and some of the people who go in to get their brain scanned sort of live in this super upset state. And we yeah. see that the, this cingulate is, is in a cramp during that time uh, as well, feeling like there's no one on my side and uh, you know, there's no way to calculate who I really am or, uh, you know, what the least harmful alternative, this is where crimes of passion at their worst end up happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we damage the same people we would under our best selves want to protect. And when you're talking about all of that, it um, makes me think about how our family stories shape our actions is is there a connection between like the the scenes we saw play out as children um whether that's our parents fighting or being left alone to deal with our pain how does that affect the way that we step into enemy mode yes this very fast uh calculator based on memories has a record of all of those painful events in the past so if this starts to resemble uh, one of those painful events, you know, it could be for such a simple thing as there's a male involved or there's a female mm. involved or the person is older or the voice tone or that look on their face or this is, 
uh, Christmas Day when everything always melts down, or this is the, mm. you know, there's a little smell of alcohol in the air, and that's where things go bad. Uh, all of these very basic senses trigger the the uh, whole memory system to give you a very, very, very fast alarm, which might mm. actually not be true in the present, but we arm up chemically to get ready for it as though it was true and with mm -hmm. the hope that it'll, the signal will get all the way through the uh, cingulate cortex to the front and we'll be able to update in real time but uh, at this point we're not getting real-time updates because the cingulate's too cramped up and ray as you've been talking about stupid enemy mode to people and trying to understand how it affects them what are some frequent questions or challenges that you have that you've heard from them on the one hand everybody understood this one right away because they had yeah. all personally done it they'd all personally experienced it mm -hmm. so it was very easy to explain mm -hmm. what was harder though was for people who had learned that this is how we get work done when we run into obstacles so a uh, fascinating story of, of a guy who was on a sales team and the sales manager motivated the team by using, using stupid enemy mode. And mm. everybody on the team knew that it was just a matter of time before the sales manager would lose it in the meeting and would verbally assault someone who was, in his opinion, underperforming. Mm -hmm. And would yell at them, call them names, you know, use fear as a motivator. And it was it was just really uncomfortable. But then after that incident, he would come up to the person and say, hey, it's not personal. It's just business. Yeah. And that's just how we do things around here. He had learned early in his career that that's how you motivate people. Now, that's not how you motivate people, actually. That's creating a fear motivation. And, and, and it, it was a team that was pretty toxic. They were not high performers. Another, right. another example I thought about was in the military, there is a lot of yelling that happens in basic training. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of yelling that happens in combat. But sometimes leaders coming up in the military can think that if you yell louder and you use more insulting language, that will motivate people more. And actually, it has the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. And the best leaders do not use stupid enemy mode to try to to try to motivate people. Now, I would have a caveat and I would say, well, you know, in an emergency, it's probably okay to yell. In an emergency, mm -hmm. like the house is on fire, yelling and strong language is probably in order because we got to get out of here now or somebody's going to die. That's not yeah. what we're talking about. So we're talking about using this normally. And uh, so convincing people to give up their best tool or what they think is their best tool was a frequent objection that I ran into both with military and business leaders. Well, here's the the thing, you know, let's talk about the brain as though it had four floors to it, right? And so the okay. processing is supposed to start at the first floor, go up to the second, to the third, to the fourth mm -hmm. floor. The fourth floor is the one that calculates uh, the final, is this happening in the present right now? Is this a, an actual mm -hmm. emergency or is this just an alarm? The alarm is on the second floor. And so the okay. set alarm looks like, uh, you know, hey, this could be a snake, right? It yeah. turns out it isn't a snake, it's a stick, but the, uh, it might be a snake, sets off the alarm at floor number two. Number three is, am I alone? Do I have any other resources? That's where the cingulate is. If the mm -hmm. signal gets stuck and a cramp at le level three, it never gets to level four that says, oh, 
shoot, that's just a stick. Looks kind of like a snake. Uh, and so shut off the alarms. Everything's just fine. So stupid mm-hmm. is when you get stuck at level three. You never get up to the, well, was that really an, uh, a crisis in the present? Or mm-hmm. was that just a false alarm? Because there's a lot of false alarms that go off in the brain. And we're glad mm-hmm. they did because, you know, had it really been an emergency, uh, you know, it would be very good to to be ready to handle it. But, oh, that wasn't really one. That was just, uh, you know, mm. a simple thing. But, uh, again, you know, when it goes wrong is, you know, the uh, you say, oh, he's got a gun. Mm. Uh, when, in fact, he just had a cell phone or something else like that. You know, the uh, we want the alarm to go off, but we also want our best self to look it over and go like, ah, but not this time. And when it gets stuck at the third floor in the cingulate with, uh, with a cramp, that's when it doesn't get all the way to the to the other end of processing, and then we stay stupid instead of hmm. you know stupid is basically we're 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 responding to a situation based on past experiences, uh, mm-hmm. but it isn't really true in the present. Hmm. And what does it feel like in stupid enemy mode in your body? What are some of the? How would you describe that, Ray? Oh wow, it's like you're in a panic, having a panic attack. Um, mm. your heart is racing, your vision is narrowing, um, you, you spittle is coming out of your mouth, your body is all tensed, mm-hmm. and, um, and you feel like you're, you're about ready to sprint somewhere or you just sprinted somewhere. And, and you, you, everything is, you're trying to power up to fix a problem or to fix a person, but you're doing harm to somebody that should be really important to you. It, mm-hmm. it feels terrible, and it takes a while to metabolize all those chemicals rushing through your body. Now, what I'm also realizing in, in these days is that when people go into stupid enemy mode, they're not only harming themselves physically, they're doing harm to the other person because they're causing mm-hmm. cortisol in that person. And it takes mm-hmm. a while for cortisol to metabolize. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Okay. Yeah, and and that will that has bad health effects for actually both individuals involved in the confrontation like this. Hmm. Jim, any other insight into to what stupid enemy mode feels like in the body? We can also anticipate when people are going to be getting stupid. Most hmm. people who've who've had a stupid enemy mode moment recognize uh, what the triggers are, yeah. and so they will say to other people, "Don't." don't make me mad. Uh, I, mm. I remember one lady actually said, don't make me get stupid. And that's where yeah. we got the, <laughs> what got the name from actually. Yeah. You know, saying, don't make me get stupid. Cause she, she could feel it coming on. And in my family of origin, my mother would lose it from time to time. And her whole family sort of used that to kind of guide, like don't upset your mother uh, mm-hmm. became sort of one of the family rules because we're all trying to avoid someone else getting stupid. So, Part of the, the thing is we remember how bad it feels and mm-hmm. people will actually work rather hard to avoid um, uh, making somebody else uh, get into stupid enemy mode. And that's when it, again, starts to feel like it's useful or necessary. And so uh, many um, businesses, uh, schools, relationships actually put in a lot of work trying to keep people out of stupid enemy mode. And that's mm-hmm. what people have a hard time knowing. Well, is it necessary? 
you know, would the kids ever clean clean their room if I didn't lose it every once in a while is the kind of thinking you hear in parents. (laughs) No, I, I feel that deeply. Now the, the third type of enemy mode seems a little bit different from the other two. It's, you call it intelligent enemy mode. And Ray, I wonder if you could give us, give us a story that would help illustrate what intelligent enemy mode looks like in real life. Oh, there's so many examples. And when people hear intelligent enemy mode, and I felt this way going into this project, I felt, oh, this is creepy and this is only for the worst of the worst. Right, right. But actually, then I realized how often I employed it myself and how often Mm -hmm. I had seen it employed. Mm -hmm. And when you combine uh, the will to win, whether it be a board game or an argument at work, when you combine that with a brain that's permanently cramped and you're not living as your best self, then you will go for the win no matter the personal cost. Hmm. And so I've, I've, I've seen this in, in uh, situations that I've had where I tried to manipulate a situation to make it happen the way I thought it should happen. I, I can tell you stories about uh, a, a corporate officer. This guy had retired as a CEO, but at one point in his career, he was a senior officer and the board wanted him to go down and help the CEO have more success. And when he got there, he realized that CEO did not want to have anything to do with him, did not want him on the team and would do everything to marginalize him. He was not going to build a relationship with him. And guess what? His office of this guy who was brought in to help ended up being in a, like a broom closet and he was not Mm -hmm. invited to meetings. He was not shared information. He was not a valued member of the team. That's intelligent enemy mode at work. I've seen that in the military, Yeah, Uh, you know, where a four-star general, uh, has a three-star general as his right-hand person, as his deputy, and yet he doesn't trust the three-star general and so doesn't invite him to meetings, doesn't share information with him, doesn't give him anything important to do. Uh, that's an example of intelligent enemy mode. Um, mm-hmm. I've, seen this, I've seen this in pastors. So they're so focused on their mission and their vision of their, of their church or their nonprofit, mm-hmm. but if anybody in the organization does not agree with them, or is viewed as a threat to them, they will maneuver anything, they will do anything they can to keep that person from a position of influence. And Jim, what's going on in the brain when we are looking at intelligent enemy mode? Well, this is um, certainly not when we're thinking about who our best self is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how how do we go about being the best humans? But right towards the prefrontal cortex area of the brain. So this is getting up into the fourth floor now, the the final uh, processing of an experience. The second to the last step is to uh, figure out uh, what is the least harmful uh, solution. Now, Mm -hmm. normally you'd think that would be very good, Except that if I don't have a connection feeling to somebody else, that is, I'm still not feeling like they're a valued human being, that's done at level one, where we figure, is this personal to me? Are you a personally important person to me? Do I care about Mm you? Uh, Up there, you can actually function without compassion. So Mm -hmm. we can think of the most, uh, the, the least harmful solution with or without compassion. With compassion, the least harmful solution is because I'm going to share your pain with you. 
And so mm-hmm. the least harmful solution for you is the least harmful solution for us. But if I just figure out the least harmful solution to me, the general conclusion is, well, what will be least harmful for me is if you lose. So now we have mm-hmm. a non-compassionate solution. It actually happens in the uh, ventral lateral prefrontal cortex uh, that's saying, okay, here's the best way to, for us to win and for you to lose. And so as a result, um, I figure out what it'll take it, what it'll t- do to take you down. Now, it sounds pretty Machiavellian, and, and, and it can be. Mm-hmm. But here's where you notice it inside. So I have someone sit down and start talking to me about, oh, vaccines, let's say something like that. And mm-hmm. as soon as they start talking, I figure out, oh, this is the side of the vaccine question they are on. They're not mm-hmm. on my side. So instead mm-hmm. of listening to them, I am figuring out how am I going to take them out? How am I going to prove that they're wrong? How am I going to show that they're stupid? How am I going to, uh, you know, what are the sources I'm going to use? Uh, Am I going to shut them down now so that they don't even get to go on talking? But my mind is no longer listening to them with any interest. I'm not Mm. trying to figure out why is this important to them? How are we going to work this out together? I'm going to figure out how am I going to make them lose? Uh, this happens in academia. It happens in uh, uh, all kinds of business relationships. You're talking about mm-hmm. here's you know here's what you want to sell me. Uh, I may be thinking, how do I get this person to sign on the line rather than is this product going to be good for them? I'm in actively mm-hmm. in this kind of intelligent enemy mode because I just want to win. I don't really care about what's important to them. I'm not going to share the outcomes. I remember one time someone came to my door. I was a really poor college student and um, they wanted to sell me something. I don't know what it was at this point, Um, but I said to them quite honestly, you know, I've got a family with kids and I've right now only got $3 in my checking account. So I really can't afford whatever it is you have, no matter how wonderful it is. The person looked at me with this big smile and said, Oh, I will take a payment. And I realized they don't really care what's happening to me, what my family needs. They're an intelligent enemy mode. I didn't call it that at the time. I didn't know it was. All they want is the win. They want me to buy this. And if I have to agree to pay for it later, uh, that'll be fine with them. So that smile (laughs) was not actually friendly. It was uh, a way of manipulating me. And and that's when Mm. we have not yet come to the final part in our brain, the the uh, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is telling us, here's how you win. But the ventromedial prefrontal cortex isn't saying, but this is who I really am. This is what I value. This is the kind of relationships I want to have in life uh, that would mm-hmm. represent uh, who I, what I really care about. And, and to keep salespeople from looking bad, many salespeople mm-hmm. do operate from that sense of this is really, I really want you to find the best solution among the various options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going to actually guide you to a good choice. And it's quite possible mm-hmm. to do sales from that. I have a daughter-in-law who routinely ends up at the top of the sales charts with uh, her trans um, international corporations because she genuinely yeah. cares about the outcome for the people. And so when you start feeling that, people trust her and actually she helps them find the best product. So that's how the 
you know, enemy mode, non-enemy mode can both accomplish very important tasks. Uh, but uh, in the enemy mode version, we simply mm -hmm. want the win. In the other case, we want what's best for all of us as human beings, our best self. How does intelligent enemy mode use relationships to find the win? Because like when I'm thinking about simple and stupid enemy mode, in the, like the relational centers are just turned off. Like you, you don't even realize you're missing cues from the people around you where it seems like intelligent enemy mode, you're picking up on the cues, but you're using them for different purposes. Well, that's probably too much to unpack on this particular episode, but yes, it's the same part of the brain that's used for hunting. We track everything that's going on with uh, whatever the prey is, but mm -hmm. we're looking for what will cause them damage so that we can win. Whereas in, in uh, compassion, we're actually looking for what's causing them damage so that we can help them avoid it. Hmm. And Ray, this this is probably going to be the hardest one of the three, but how how have people responded when they've learned about intelligent enemy mode? Well, of course, they felt a sense of ick when they realized yeah. what it was. Um, so that, that was one response. Um, but the other response, I got quite a few stories of people who had seen this, and, they, and I didn't get too many to admit that they had done it. Uh, mm -hmm. because it, it really, you've got to understand deeper brain levels because there's something going on in that person's brain. There's some attachment signals that are being, that are not getting through. But mm -hmm. um, now, unfortunately, if you give uh, a person who's an, uh, an intelligent enemy mode operator, if you give them brain science and even help them study emotional intelligence, actually, uh, unless they get their attachment uh, center sorted out, they're going to be better at uh, being intelligent enemy mode, they're going to be more effective predators because they're going to notice these cues and pick up on them and use them to their advantage. And so we, mm. we've also gotten some indicators that as people learn about this, they get better at it. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. So sensitivity training or any kind of awareness training, uh, you know, uh, of other cultures, races and things like that. If you feed that into enemy mode, it simply makes better predators out of the uh, people mm. who got the training. Therapy even works mm. that way. Well, there's a, a lot to unpack and discover and learn uh, as we are talking about enemy mode and how we can recognize it in ourselves, in others, and learn to escape it. Um, as we're moving forward with the podcast, uh, what type of guests are we going to have coming on? Well, I'm pretty excited for Jim to tell us about Lisa. Right. She had a chance to actually uh, find out how to de-escalate a situation in a very politically and public uh, charged kind of situation. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm also really interested in some coaches, you know, that um, a lot of coaching and sports operate in enemy mode. And, yeah. uh you know, it seems like, well, that'd be the way you win, but actually it's pretty detrimental to children when that's the way that uh, you get them to participate. People actually do very well in sports trying to find their best self as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to, to beat someone else. And we've got some coaches that have been helping their teams out of enemy mode and with 
something like 50 million homes in America having children who are participating in some kind of sports program, that's something that really attracts my attention as well. We also have a couple of cops we're going to be talking to, one former cop and one police chief, who uh, in their police work, uh, in situations both with the public, but also as the officers approached it, they saw enemy mode and they saw how policing was more effective when the officers were able to stay relational hmm. and, and, and calculate the least harmful alternative. You've been listening to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast. To learn more about the book by Dr. Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, visit escapingenemymode.com.